Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get to the show, a quick but I think compelling pitch. Do you know about our secret menu? It's a subscription tier of a thing or two, and it's where we share our shopping guides, answer reader questions, go deep on the trends we're seeing in food, fashion, and design, and just generally get into topics that excite us. Secret menu subscribers receive an exclusive newsletter every Thursday and also get access to all of our back issues and special resources like our baby registry guide and wedding registry guide. It's four bucks a month and you can cancel anytime. Sign up at a thing or two HQ.com to receive it as well as our endless gratitude for supporting what we do. Okay, here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mieser. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two HQ.com and sign up for a secret menu, which will get you weekly access to members only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. Can we, before we bring on our lovely guest mm-hmm. today, spend a few minutes talking about cooking? Yes, we can. And just like the overwhelm of it again. I really had a moment the other day. I've been really burnt out basically since we broke for the holidays and have yeah. not gotten back into it in any meaningful way. And I had this thing where I was like, I feel like a 50s housewife who's like, yeah. I just, you know, who who's just feels totally at her wits end with this thing. Like you're Betty Draper. I'm Betty Draper, desperate for the microwave. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like drinking four martinis <laughs> to try to self-soothe. I mean, yes. not you, not you, but that yes. that does feel like the answer. <laughs> I, I think it felt this way specifically because I've been really excited about any sort of trick, hack, innovation that uh, will make uh, it easier for me. Yeah. I recently bought a rotisserie chicken at the grocery store and was like, this is the answer. This will, I can make four meals out of this thing. And this is, this is the convenience I need. I'm just desperate for any sort of convenience that will help me not cook so much. There's this novel called Vladimir mm-hmm. that I just like absolutely loved. And I've talked to you about a million times, mm-hmm. but there's the like way that the way that like food comes into it mm-hmm. was like very compelling. And there's a section where the main character who's in her fifties and is, and like, just like clearly has very specific food taste, like lists out things that she keeps in the refrigerator because she and her husband don't really eat together anymore Mm -hmm. and whatever. And she's like, you know, like things people like to eat, like a roast chicken, like some, like a lentil salad, like cheese, like nice olives, like whatever. And I had this moment of being like, I want to like write this down. (laughs) I want to like write down this Uh list and have it because yes, these are things people like to eat and that don't require cooking, which is like a weird takeaway from a novel. (laughs) But what I I mean, I know that the answer is that we have been cooking more because we're eating out less, but I don't even know if I have that to blame. I think that part of it for me is being at home all the time and working at home Mm -hmm. and then having the loom of knowing that you have to like have the meals and that right right over there in that other room. Like that it's like, there is no like, oh, I'm at an office and thus I'm going to like bop out and go get a lunch. Or even like that I brought my lunch from home and it's in a fridge and I've already thought about (laughs) it. Like, yeah. Or that I'm going to like stop at the grocery store on the way home. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, it's just like all like sitting over there in that room. I had felt really burnt out. And then we spent, a long time. We spent like five weeks in Los Angeles. And while we were there, I really had the crutch of a couple of things. One, it was warm enough to eat outside. And that was such a novelty that we were doing it a ton. We were going out to eat a ton. So it was like, A, these aren't restaurants I get to go to very often. So I want to take advantage of that. B, 
wow, I can eat out in a way that I feel safe doing. And then for lunch, I was just, I told you, I rediscovered the store-bought rotisserie chicken. The farmer's market there has incredible dips. So I was going hard at the hummuses and the salsas and stuff. And so, and you were grilling and you don't forget grilling. We were grilling because you could do that outside. I I was like, there were more things I was jealous of. Don't stop there. So Chris was grilling, but I, it it just basically getting a really big break from cooking. It it made it worse. Made it worse. Made it worse. It wasn't like I came back. I really thought I would come back because I hadn't been cooking at all, or at least not cooking elaborate things. I thought I would come back and be like, I'm ready to dive into a multi-step recipe. No, I'm further from it. The idea of taking on a new recipe right now seems crazy to me. I, Claire, I know you said that it's like, it's worse for you because it, or you came back and it felt worse. I'm like, I don't know. Like I didn't, I was here and just doing this and I, it, it's gotten worse for me too. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. And it's also like, look, we're in February. It's mm-hmm. a hard time to get inspired yeah. for a lot of things. Yeah. I don't know. Can we talk about, can we talk about <laughs> yes. meals? You asked me something and I was like, oh, what about Ipsa and Peerless? Like th- those are the two things that had really kept me going for a while, which was always having frozen meals from Ipsa in my freezer and always having frozen fish from Peerless in my freezer because yes. I knew that at least two nights a week I could do that. And with Peerless, I was basically taking the fish out of the freezer, thawing it, putting some Amsam dressing on it or maybe making something of my own and then roasting or sauteing it and serving it with rice from the instant pot. And you made the point that you just needed to be like, all right, I'm going to assign myself one night a week of five different things and just pick from the list. I basically like, I am a meal planner and I ostensibly decided, I just feel like it was just feeling like that was like a drag every week of being like, what am I going to make? Mm-hmm. When's the thing going to be that I started treating a little more like a bingo card mm-hmm. where it is like one night a week, it's something for my freezer. And like, unfortunately, Peerless and Ipsa are New York yeah. things at this point, but, but these, but like having frozen fish or mm-hmm. like having like, like the cauliflower gnocchi from Trader Joe's is one of my frozen mm-hmm. thing, like go-tos, like whatever. There are, there also, are plenty of other options. There was another fish delivery service that Ruth Reichel wrote about in her newsletter called, mm. I think Brown Trading Company. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah. Brown Trading Co. And you know what? I am a bad podcaster and didn't do my research, but she gave the impression that they deliver everywhere. They're based in Maine. So I assume that, that they do have national delivery. That's interesting. Yeah. She, she really loves them. They, they seem pricey, but they, I think they ship everywhere. So yeah, I do like something from the freezer one night. What like this winter, I've just been like one night of soup. I love soup. It's like, it's not usually that challenging mm-hmm. to make and you can like put it on and then like do a chore or have a drink or a chat or like whatever. It's like not, there's not yeah. a lot of hands-on time. Do you do, a, do you always make enough to put some in the freezer after? I always make enough to put some in the fridge. I should get better at putting it in the freezer, but I always make enough so that I have it like leftover for lunch. And I've been doing a lot of brothy soups recently. Mm. Like there's this lemon rice soup mm-hmm. that I've been making or this like beans and greens and harissa soup or Helen Rosner's Roberto mm-hmm. with like sausage. And it works really well with like beyond sausage mm-hmm. and, and that stuff too. Yeah. It's just like, it's extremely nice to have a th- like a serving or three of leftover yes. soup to warm up for lunch to be able to have a hot lunch because that's like part of it too. Mm-hmm. One night a week, we do like basically snacks for dinner of like cheese and crackers and a salad or tinned fish. Mm-hmm. And I just like remind myself that that's fine. That is like fine. it's like whatever. And like also there's a vegetable mm-hmm. and whatever. And you got me this cookbook mm-hmm. called The Magic of Tinned Fish that there are like recipe recipes mm-hmm. in it, like legitimately for, you know, these like beautiful little beer battered sardines mm-hmm. and like, et cetera. But then there are also things that are like recipe adjacent. That's <laughs> like an anchovy parsley and pecorino sandwich or whatever. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, that's, that's a, a good idea. Like yeah. whatever, like, yeah. or octopus with crispy potatoes and aioli. And I'm like, okay, yeah. right, right, right. That's like something you could, I can that's do. like not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then another night, is usually a pasta. And that has helped me just be like, okay, right. That's like four nights checked off. And I have an arsenal of recipes that I can sort of like rotate. I do think pasta at least once a week just always feels so easy. I'm like, I can do a jarred. I can just improvise a quick sauce. I can figure something out. I can make a quick pesto and figure something out and that will solve something. I need to be better at thinking ahead at just remembering what all of these things are ahead of time. Yeah. I will say it reminded me when you were think, talking about this of some friends of ours who I don't know if they still do this. I should ask this, but for a very long time, they were incredibly committed to having the same meal, the same night of the week. Always. They would just 
hit reorder on their fresh direct delivery every oh single God. week because they knew on Mondays they were having chili on Tuesdays, they were having salmon on Wednesdays. They were having some, you know, this pasta or whatever. And it just, I, it really appealed to me in the same way that uniform dressing appeals to me. Like, you know, yeah, it's uniform eating. Yeah. It's <laughs> uniform eating and it just cuts out so much friction. Oh, one night was, they would get a pizza delivered. Okay. 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 And yeah, I was like that. It's wonderful. You just never have to think about it. Unfortunately, I get really sick of things really quickly. Yeah. See, I, I just, I also like as much as I dread the act of st- figuring this out and thinking about it, I also relish the like meal. Yeah. Oh, um, same. And like, again, like how many things are there to look forward right. to like in our, in my day-to-day life. So like, yeah, I like need a lunch that I need like a lunch or a dinner or something that I'm like, that was delicious. Like, Agreed. Yeah. Do you know what else is almost always in our weekly repertoire is taco night, which is mm. pretty easy depending on how hard you want to go at it. But we just, I've been making tacos with making the tortillas, which makes it a little more complicated, but you obviously don't need to do that. And I just melt cheese on them in the oven so that everybody has this like sort of crispy hot shell with melted cheese on it. And then you can pile avocados and tomatoes and onion and cilantro and lettuce on them. I don't, I rarely even bother with a protein these days because, you know, cheese is protein enough, but if you really want to be fancy, you can do beans or ground meat or whatever, but it's always really satisfying and I got it. We do that sometimes. And it made me really want to make the, the like beans that we make, which is like so mm, easy. It's mm-hmm. the like, the do you make these, beans. The, the Gwyneth yeah, beans? Yeah. Yeah. I do some variation. I got sort of sick of the taste of, or she, she puts, I guess you don't do this, the cilantro in them. Oh no, I don't put yeah. cilantro in them, which is a trick. So basically you like saute a, a minced clove, a garlic, dump in the entire cans of beans with the like broth, cook it down as much as you want to, and then finish it with some lime. Mm-hmm. And it just is like, it's very good. It's just good. And it's like no nonsense. Mm-hmm. And you just really don't have to pay attention to it. And mm-hmm. it feels like you did something, but you really didn't, which is what I'm seeking <laughs> in general. Feels like you did something, but you really didn't. Thank you so much to Etitude for sponsoring today's show. Erica, I feel like you will relate to this, but I found that one unexpected thing about getting older is not just like struggling to get good sleep, but that there's this like princess in the pea level of sleeping specs and requirements in order to fall yes. asleep. Yes. We've talked about my my pillow acquisition yes. on a recent episode. I fully understand. Like I went to a hotel recently and I was like, I'm obsessed with the hotel, but I had these really specific complaints about the like the bedding itself that like the height of the pillow and like the way it was. Yeah. The way that the weight of the comforter, all of it, all all of it. it. I was just like, God, who have I become? Like this stuff never used to matter to me. And it made me feel so stodgy, but you know, such as life and such as aging. And I will say that good sheets are just more important than they have ever been to me at any stage in my life, which is why we are so excited about attitudes sheets, which are made from bamboo which feels incredibly silky. So they have this like special formulation that it it honestly, it feels like silk. It feels softer than silk. Turns out bamboo is better in bed. It feels great. This bamboo formulation that they have helps regulate temperature. So if you run too hot, if you run too cold, it's good for you. And it's as environmentally sustainable as hemp. So way, way more environmentally responsible than cotton. Also, you know how everybody's also always pitching you on this idea that like, if you would just sleep on a silk pillowcase, it would eliminate all your frizzy hair, all your breakouts. You could wash your hair less, which I completely understand. But also I'm like, I don't want to just have one random silk pillowcase on my bed and have everything else, something else. So attitudes, bamboo sheets have all those same benefits and their pillowcases. So you can achieve this dream of sleeping on something that's better for your hair. Made from the world's first clean bamboo fabric, attitude sheets are softer than silk, sustainable as hemp, and use 500 times less water than cotton sheets. They're luxuriously silky and get softer with every wash. Just ask the 15,000 customers who gave these sheets five stars. And if you're someone who sleeps hot, know that attitude sheets are breathable, moisture wicking, and hypoallergenic, so they keep you comfortable all night long. Attitude is also better for the planet. Clean bamboo is responsibly sourced and made in a closed loop system that recycles 98% of the water in the process. Plus all of Etitude's products are climate neutral certified. You can try any Etitude bedding with their 30 night sleep trial. If you're not completely satisfied, return it for a full refund. And right now you can get 20% off your order plus free shipping when you visit Etitude.com slash thing or two spelled E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E.com slash thing or two. This is Etitude's best offer, but don't wait. It's only for a limited time. Order today for free shipping and 20% off your order at attitude.com slash a thing or two. 
Hi, I'm Bethany. And I'm Anthony Garcia. And this is the Garcia Diaries Unfiltered. In this day and age of filters and heavy editing, we believe in sharing the real and raw parts of marriage, parenthood, and real freaking life that often get filtered over. Every week, we share next level, real life confessions from our audience. You'll either feel seen, highly entertained, or maybe even both. Come hang with us and catch a new episode every Friday. Make sure to follow so you don't miss a single confession. Another thing like the beans that I like to just have in the fridge is shredded chicken, which not relevant to you. And I probably talked about this before, but you can put frozen or non-frozen chicken thighs in the instant pot, pour chicken broth over them, put some cumin salt. I really like that chipotle Tabasco. I will put that Mm. in so many things, including those beans, which is why I thought of it. And then, and I really like using chicken thighs for this, but you can use chicken. There's some fat. There's some fat. It just, and I prefer dark. Yeah. Well, when you're shredding, I think that helps. Exactly. Pressure cook it for 12 minutes or however long you take them out and just shred it with two forks. And then I use it, you know, for salads at lunch. I will use it in tacos. I will use it in soups. It's just such a nice, easy thing to have in my life. My eating life tends to be so much easier if I've done that over the weekend. And normally what will happen is like, I'll be doing it because we'll be making enchiladas or something like that. And then I just make a lot more so that we have it left over. Yeah. 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 Okay. Speaking of lunch, what are you eating for lunch? It's, I truly have nothing to offer in this, in this area. It's so depressing. But back when I did put any effort into my diet, box lettuce has been huge for me. And I feel bad because it's extra plastic, but not having to wash or chop it means I will eat it and not just let it rot in my produce drawer. And then just embracing salad dressing. I've talked about the QP roasted sesame one, which I think is so good. The Gotham Greens Caesar one is really good and has. I love the Gotham Greens Green Goddess. I yeah. think it's so great. They, they as like a dip too, mm-hmm. yes, like yes, for same. carrots and celery and whatever. Same with yeah. I, the Gotham the Gotham Green Caesar, I will use as a dip. The other thing I did that I just felt like a genius about the other day is the pizza place that we ordered from has a salad that I really love, and I asked for extra dressing, and then I just kept the dressing in my fridge and amazing. Great idea. Yeah, it, it is for people who live in in New York. It's the Emily Pizza the miso dressing that they put on their broccoli salad is incredible. So I'll like make a salad with bottled salad dressing and boxed salad and throw maybe some chicken, you know, shredded chicken from a rotisserie chicken or, or that I've made sometimes canned tuna. Here's something I started doing recently that feels really unlike me. Cause it's not something I ever ate as a kid. It's kind of a kid's style meal, but yeah. Turkey wraps where you just like take Oh, you use the turkey, turkey as the bread. Yeah. yeah. Slice yeah, turkey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swiss turkey cheese. Yeah, yeah. Turkey roll yeah, up. Yeah. That's what it's called. Thank yeah. you. Cousin of a fruit roll up. Yes. But, but with pork. <laughs> turkey, Swiss, some combination of lettuce, avocado, banana peppers. Also been really into mm. the hoagie spread from Cento. And then Interesting. it's so good. My mouth is watering. And then mayo or mustard obsessed with the good grainy mustard from Batchworthy. It's some of the, it's the best mustard I've ever had. And it's really satisfying and it's so quick and easy too. You just are, you know, pulling this sliced stuff out of the fridge, piling some stuff on top of it and rolling it up. And yeah, I'm sure I'll get sick of it soon because I've been eating it too much. I, I mentioned that I've been like very into a hot lunch <laughs> recently and So like one day a week, I've been trying to do like set the Instant Pot and make beans or a grain in it and like have it ready for lunch Mm, so that I can use whatever that is as like the base for my lunch and then just have it for whatever else. What are you adding to it? Like sardines and a sauce or whatever. What kind of, are you making um, the sauce? I'm trying to think of what I have. Like I'll have like, um. I did like, okay, I did like little quesadilla at some point with, you know, cheese and beans Mm, and mm -hmm, whatever and just like do that in a skillet. When I made sardines, what did I, I can't remember, Claire, what I, I feel like it's like a combination of like soy Mm, and mirin and rice vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of thing that like is much more satisfying with warm rice, Mm -hmm, obviously. mm -hmm. But then on days when I'm just like, basically, I just have a lot of days where I have snack for lunch Mm -hmm. and the thing that has been helping me with that is just having some pickles or like mm. pickled something around. Yes. Because it feels like just a very easily like accessible vegetable. I agree completely. And this is another thing that really helped me in Los Angeles was that farmers market vendors had great pickles and spicy pickled <sighs> vegetables. And it just made my life a lot easier. And listen, I think I would eat a more varied 
responsible diet if I lived in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, it also just, it's like I can have cheese and crackers for lunch mm-hmm. and then have some pickles on the side and feel like it wasn't, it wasn't like just a lunchable. You ate a you know? <laughs> It's a fancy lunchable for yeah. sure. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. What's your breakfast scene right now? I'm in this phase and I don't know when it's going to end because it's been going on for so long where I'm just not very hungry in the morning. So I've been yeah. eating breakfast pretty late, which mm. means that a lot of times it resembles lunch because I'm like, well, it's 1030. And also I got this thing in my head from two separate potentially dubious sources about how good savory breakfasts are and how as Americans, we need to sort of reframe our idea of what them. breakfast yeah. is and I don't think that's dubious. No, that's not dubious. I, the sources I'm saying, I actually don't think either oh, okay. of these sources are dubious. Okay. So the first source was Whole30, which I just have complicated yeah. feelings about, but they do sure. really encourage a savory breakfast and really encourage you to be like, maybe you're going to have a chicken breast for breakfast. Who yeah. knows? And that's fine. And what's wrong with that? And that is true. The other is this Instagram account that I actually feel fine about. I just hate that it like is adjacent to diet culture, but it's called glucose goddess. And it's this woman who just does a lot of research around glucose spikes. And honestly, like mm. a lot of what's driving it is around helping like diabetics manage their yeah, sugar yeah, spikes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, in yeah, general, yeah. like we all have sugar spikes and know that they're not good for your health in the long term. They're also in the short term, they make you tired and feel crappy and whatever. Yeah. So she, you make you make you sluggish after for sure. Yeah. So she just does a lot of interesting research around how to consume sugar in a way that won't lead to these giant spikes and crashes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and yeah. she talks so much about savory breakfast and how important that is. So she also has got been training my mind to just be like, maybe you're just going to have leftovers from dinner last night for breakfast, which I do with some frequency. And then the other thing also left over from Whole30 is this breakfast of coconut yogurt. And I love the Coco June brand. I've never tried another brand of coconut yogurt that I think is good, but Coco June's incredible with berries and crushed up pecans. And it is such a satisfying breakfast. I, to like go back to your leftovers Mm -hmm. thing, I feel like I'm much more motivated around and less annoyed about breakfast. If I have leftover, like pretty much anything where Mm -hmm. it's like I have leftover grains or greens or potatoes or like, you know, three scoops of like broccoli or like whatever to just be like, oh, I can combine these things in a pan and like throw an egg in or like whatever. And it feels like something. Yeah. I've been in seasons of my life where I'm willing to dirty a pan for breakfast, but I am not in one currently, but you're perpetually in that season of life. Like you've always been comfortable dirtying a pan for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Because you also eat breakfast with Thomas and you guys eat the same things most of the time. Yes. It's like one pan. Yeah. Um, For both of you. It's one pan. And there's a shared responsibility for it. That's right. That's right. Oh yeah. Anyway, God, I'm, I'm just, just dreading making dinner. You know, that's where I, that's where this left me. I, it's really hard. I also, I broke down and ordered prepared food from something else. This place in New York called stocked by three owls to just have some food in the fridge. Cause I just, sometimes I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not going to have it in me to cook and it's better than just eating out all the time or ordering in all the time. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. So totally. it's, you know, it's something, but maybe we'll get back to a place of inspiration, but I really, you cooked something elaborate the other night for your birthday. And I was like, wow, the motivation to try. Well, Cause my, it was my birthday I know. and we, you know, I don't know. I just did. I was impressed. I didn't have it in me at all. Oh my gosh. Let's bring on our guest. Okay. So Veronique Highland is amazing. She's the fashion features editor at Elle. She is the person who coined the term millennial pink in a 2016 piece for the cut. And she has a book out this week that is wonderful called dress code, unlocking fashion from the new look to millennial pink. And she's so smart. She's such a special person. And we're so lucky to have her as a writer because she's just really well-informed and funny and interesting and, and curious about so yeah. many different things. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, she's not just like a fashion fixated person. Yeah. She has a lot of varied interests, she's, which is what we want. She's really, yeah. she's really unique and, and special and so good at what she does. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Hi, Veronique. Hi, how are you? Great. It's so excited that you're here. Yeah, this is, I think the previous time I was on this, it was in the studio at Alex's house in oh the God, East Village. Oh my God. Real heads. Yes. No. Yes. Wow. Wow. And were we back. talking about, were we talking about jeans? Me and Tiffany Yanetta, and we were talking uh-huh. about, this was a, a different time in jeans, I think, because it was 
an uncertain time where there was fraying <laughs> and there were skinny jeans, but wide leg was starting to come in. So it was... It was before skinny jeans were like totally, were being, being told that exactly. yeah. if we wore skinny exactly. jeans. But yeah. are you saying that we're now in more certain times when it comes to denim? Because <laughs> it's not that I feel that we're in uncertain times, but I do feel that it's a bit of a free-for-all. No, I agree. And I'm confused about the whole generational associations tagged onto that. That kind of uh-huh, bothers uh-huh, me. Uh-huh. And also mm-hmm. just this idea of like deeming items in or out, like you have to completely change your wardrobe every year or something feels very dated and not well, very earth friendly. <laughs> definitely yes. not very earth friendly, but it does feel very dated to deem fashion stuff in and out because we are living in this moment where kind of anything goes. But it's just so funny to me that skinny jeans have are the thing that are now deemed out because they were the last big thing in my memory that it was like, this is happening and you must have this if right. you want to seem contemporary <laughs> in your fashion choices. So now like it's it's just always the thing that is wielded for or against us. No, absolutely. And then also the center part conversation, which is just interesting mm. because I've always oh been God. very pro center part. So that was kind of gratifying that that's apparently back. But okay. again, I'm like, I don't know if these are media narratives or if people actually, <laughs> you know, subscribe to all this stuff. I really have no idea. Well, and for me, I'm like, I've had a side part my entire life. The idea that I would that change my part based on <laughs> anything that's happening on TikTok is just like Well, it's just me. one of those things that either it looks good on you it or something or else looks better on you. Yeah. It's not a yes. trend drip. It shouldn't be a trend drip choice. Right. It's like, what does your most... face prefer? Exactly. Yeah. Veronique, can you tell us a little bit about your book and sort of how it came to be? Yeah. So this is something that I've been describing as something I was waiting around for someone to write and didn't necessarily (laughs) identify myself as the person who could write it. But I was interested in kind of delving a little bit more into these uh, circular conversations we're all having around fashion, like the the one, you know, we just had now. And, you know, I write about this stuff typically at article length, and I'm able to really delve into some of the cultural context and all of that. But I kind of had a hunger to bring in the fashion history and the context and the perspective. And I felt like some of these conversations we have about fashion, it's as though this debate has never happened before you know, like thinking about all the, I write about the furor over leggings and how Mm. leggings have been banned in a lot of places. Leggings aren't pants. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And seeing that, how that happened with other garments like bloomers that were promised to liberate women and that a lot of women really liked wearing that were comfortable, but that were also weaponized against them. You know, that's just one example, but just looking at the, the ways that we've been having these conversations over decades, because I feel like sometimes when I read about this stuff, it's, you know, it's in the context of this season or something that just happened and there's, everything is seen as brand new. And so I wanted to talk about fashion history, but not in a way that like gets bogged down. And I also Mm -hmm. wanted to do something that was very mass because there are a lot of like academic books about fashion, which are great, but not really written for a mass audience. Or there are things that are very fashion inside baseball. And I wanted this to be mass in a good way. Like the, the idea I was thinking about was sort of writing like a public intellectual, but about Mm. fashion. And Mm -hmm. I do think that there's like a hunger for essays and book length examinations of things because we all, again, are having these very cyclical conversations and everything is, you know, a hot take or a very short, you know, having to weigh in on something because something is happening. And I think that there is an interest in just, uh, cultural commentary that has a little bit more thought behind it and has a little more time taken behind it. I've just seen that trend with books in general. So I wanted to apply that to fashion. In reading this book, I was like realizing how much I miss the fashion history context. And then I feel like we used to get that more from magazines, you know, in the early aughts or like late 90s mm-hmm. or whatever, you would get that framing. And I just, we don't get it as much anymore. And so this was, it just shed so much more light. I was like, God, yes, this, mm-hmm. this. <laughs> Yeah. And in one way, we've we've never been more aware of especially recent fashion history because there's so many Instagram accounts that are devoted to especially the 90s, the early 2000s. And now, of course, I recently wrote about how 2010s style is coming back, which feels kind of nuts. Yeah. (laughs) But these images are all out there. You know, we've seen like the image of Paris Hilton at her 21st birthday party a million times. 
mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But then I think going going beyond those kind of more recent eras and those celebrity driven things and the touchstones that kind of everyone looks at, it's a little harder. So that's what I, you know, really wanted to bring in. What was your favorite part of the book to write? <sighs> that's a good question. My favorite chapter, at least the in terms of the result, I don't know that this is... <laughs> No one else has said this is their favorite chapter. So maybe it's just more (laughs) for me. But I wrote about the history of It Girls. That's Mm -hmm. something I've always been interested in. I've always been interested in how and why someone becomes It and then how they become not It. Mm -hmm. And the way that fashion and these other visual industries kind of have discarded women and what happens to Hmm. them afterwards. So, you know, I've always been interested in these people who are so written about, like, Jean Seberg or Edie Sedgwick, but, and constantly, you know, brought up as style icons, but we don't know as much about their lives and what they went mm-hmm. through and looking into the lives of these women and what happened when they were no longer young or in the spotlight or someone else, you know, replaced them as an it girl was kind of heartbreaking and interesting. And also just seeing the fact that uh, a lot of these people were in some form of pain, whether that mm-hmm. was Frida Kahlo. Yeah. I talk about how she uh, evolved her fashion around um, her disability. And mm-hmm. yeah. also people um, like Edie Sedgwick was using eye makeup to camouflage her crying and the pain that she was in. And so a lot of these things that we think of as fashion statements were really sort of self-protective. Isabella Blow mm-hmm. is another good example because she always talked about how she used fashion as kind of this, you know, way to deal with her depression. But I I just, I found that stuff really interesting, the reading and research that I did for that. And um, that kind of tied in a lot of things I'm interested in, not just fashion, you know, that talks about Hollywood. And I think we still, we still see it. Like towards the end of the chapter, I talk about these digital CGI it girls, which is another thing oh, yeah. I'm totally fascinated by. <laughs> oh my God. Same. And then we've, we've written about like Elizabeth Holmes did a great story about Lil Michaela and Shudu, who were two of the kind of prominent ones a couple of years ago for us. But yeah, I'm just interested in how we envision like the perfect woman and what that means and who that includes and who that excludes and all of that. I, I am so tempted to ask you about your thoughts on Julia Fox, but I fear they they will be outdated by the time this comes out. They, might, they might be. <laughs> I'm to, I mean, I was completely obsessed with her after uh-huh. Uncut Gems. And I like Same. the fact that she's such a, like the way she speaks, she's clearly like such a New Yorker. Like mm-hmm. you do not hear that way of speaking and you don't mm-hmm. see that attitude nearly enough. Yeah. So I relate to that. I'm totally fascinated by everything she has going on right now. I do think the New York piece of it feels like a big significant part of it because I think when first of all at least in New York there was this drama that directly preceded her linking up with Kanye West around the father of her child and that was like in retrospect minor but in my New York social circles everybody was talking about it and it felt like this yeah highly specific New York gossip that was fun and and also sad but then when immediately after that she became the subject of national attention because of the Kanye stuff, there was this sense of ownership, I think, on behalf of New Yorkers. Like, this is a true New York girl. She's always been famous to New Yorkers for a really long time, you know, has has been such a part of the New York scene. And like you said, really that hometown she, hero. It really <laughs> comes across in her self-presentation how New York she is. And I I think maybe we haven't had a true New York it girl, especially not a true downtown New York it girl since maybe like Chloe Sevigny. I don't know. And so there is there's a little bit of novelty to it in that way. And also a lot of pride on behalf of New Yorkers of like there is a lot of ridiculousness in it. And there's a lot to question about. But it's fun to have a New Yorker in the spotlight in this way. No, absolutely. And her she has also been really uh, pioneering the low rise pants. Big time. Totally. I don't know how totally. they're staying to bring us back to denim yeah. for a moment. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's been doing like all of the denim, like oh, pretty yes. much, you know, all of the denim. <laughs> well, and, and the eye makeup, which there's now an Instagram filter of. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Anyway, thanks for indulging us on the Julia Fox topic. I'm, I'm always up for talking about her. I'm obsessed. Thank you so much to Native for sponsoring today's episode. I have a friend who 
has started working in the beauty industry and is now like very interested in thinking about more like clean and all natural, you know, all those words mean like not something and nothing depending on who you are, but <laughs> yes. it's more interested in the ingredients that are in beauty products and is starting to make those transitions of like, okay, well, what, like what products am I going to change and what swaps am I going to make and what's the actual good stuff? Mm-hmm. And when thinking about deodorant, I was like, oh, I feel like you need to know about native. Like that feels like one of the like big, big players in that space that, and in a space that has come such a long way over the last decade. Like it's kind of crazy. This, this is like the one, this is the go-to one for sure. Native deodorant checks a lot of boxes. It's aluminum free. It's 24 hour odor protection. There's zero residue on skin and they have over 10 cents to choose from. We love the eucalyptus and mint and their coconut and vanilla scent has been a customer favorite for years. I do feel like we also need to mention that they had a collab happening with Baked by Melissa. You know, the tiny, colorful, often tie-dyed cupcakes. So somebody has to try that out. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know how the Baked by Melissa native collab is going for you. They create products that are made with simple ingredients like shea butter and coconut oil. So you can smell great all day long. And now Native is on a mission to overhaul your entire hygiene routine. They've added body wash, bar soap, toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, and sunscreen. Everything you need. Smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. Get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com slash a thing or two, or use promo code a thing or two at checkout. That's nativedo.com slash a thing or two, or use promo code a thing or two at checkout for 20% off your first order. Thank you so much to ZocDoc for sponsoring today's episode. You may have noticed that I feel like over the last year, maybe even two years, we have just been talking a lot more about all of our medical exploits from colonoscopies (laughs) to mammograms to skin cancer mostly just because we want to remind you to take care of yourselves and also to like take care of ourselves and and because we're like stuff. getting we're getting older and some of these things get more relevant as you get older sad to say yeah and there's like some mystery around them like what exactly does happen with a colonoscopy or a mammogram and it's helpful to hear it from a friend or you know a podcast host um, oh speaking of colonoscopies um and helen peterson had a great newsletter yes on she did i loved it have, if you have one coming up or need to have one coming it was up. like i'll read this immediately this Same. long thing i was Same. i was so she had a really really good newsletter about about colonoscopies and and like really got into the prep of it all, which is like, spoiler, most of the excitement around a colonoscopy comes before the colonoscopy itself. <laughs> really <in the laughs> anyway, yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. So all of this leads to like, you got to take care of yourself. And one part of taking care of yourself is making regular appointments, which feels so daunting. But I have to say, ZocDoc has just made it so much less daunting for me. I just open an app, I like check some boxes, scroll a bit, look at some ratings and I'm done. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Just download the free ZocDoc app at ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two for the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and are available when you want them. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, an eye doctor, another specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com slash a thing or two to download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Veronique, do you have thingies for us? Yes. When I was making these, I didn't realize how many of them were nostalgic for eras that I didn't experience like late seventies, early eighties. I don't <laughs> think of myself as being that into the eighties, but there's a lot of, a lot of eighties happening in this whole thing. I'm glad you learned something about yeah, yourself. It's a really good this. exercise. Everyone's <laughs> this this, exercise. regardless of whether they're a guest on, on your show. So the first one is, I think one of the last things I did before the pandemic was I went to Lincoln center and saw Joe Iconis and family. Joe Iconis is a composer, Broadway composer, who's probably best known for Be More Chill. Mm -hmm. He has many great Mm -hmm. shows to his Mm -hmm. name, including Love and Hate Nation, which is out now. And he does a lot of character songs, I guess you would call them, uh, songs that kind of stand alone and someone is playing a character and you slowly learn about their whole lives. So for example, he has one that Andrew Rannells has performed that is about a hipster serial killer. But you kind of don't realize oh until God. you get into the song what's going on. He wrote some songs for Smash. So he has this group known as the family, but it's not in you know the Manson sense. 
It's just <laughs> a group Thank of God. creative people that uh, surround him. And I love those kind of collectives. He just has these amazing, talented people. He's always bringing in new people. And he writes for a lot of people who are not necessarily going to be cast as main characters on Broadway, people who are more character actors. And he gives them songs mm-hmm. that a protagonist would have. So seeing this performance was also great because about half the people were clearly there because they're fans. And the other half were like subscribers that were like, what is this rock and roll (laughs) that's going on? Why are people like running through the audience? But I mean, I I don't think I'm just saying it was so great because I saw it right before the pandemic. I mean, it it really was quite amazing. The fandom for this guy is so real. I saw Be More Chill at I can't remember when exactly, but like the teens mm-hmm. were going insane mm-hmm. over it. Absolutely insane. Yeah, it he started, has a dedicated, dedicated following. It yeah. started like in a, I think a regional theater in New Jersey, right? And mm-hmm. then yeah. had, right. and then basically had such a passionate fan base that it, it was able to, to transfer to Broadway with a lot of initial success, but then got shut down kind of early because I think the initial success was all driven by the original fans who were just going over and over. All yeah. Of, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. It was yeah. a theater in Red Bank, uh, New Jersey, which which yeah. I've been to. And there was, I think, a lot of like digital creation yes. happening around yes. in the show. It's just interesting to see that with Broadway and see how a younger generation is is getting into it. Like that show was maybe a little young for me. Yes, agreed, agreed. It's just exciting because you sort of feel like this art form finds new relevance among younger mm. people. And that's really awesome to see. I feel like I liked watching the audience maybe more than watching yeah. <laughs> the like actual show. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Fair. What else are you excited about? So I've been watching a lot of movies mm-hmm. and a couple genres have really uh, stuck out to me. And one is what I think was described as either sunshine noir or beach noir. So films mm-hmm. that are noir, Ooh. but uh, of more recent vintage and usually take place in like California so think of something like a Chinatown is kind of a uh-huh, classic. Uh-huh. So I'm obsessed with Inherent Vice. I recently watched Night Moves, which is great. Cutter's Way, a movie that seems to have a lot of relevance in 2022, but doesn't really get talked about. And then I've always been a big fan of Veronica Mars, which I feel like is in yes, this. Same. Um, yes. Veronique, we got a, we got a, I got a DM recently that was like, why aren't you guys talking about Veronica Mars on the podcast more? We need a longer wow. discussion of Logan at goals. Yeah. What is going on? Like, I didn't know you were fans <laughs> and what are you doing? Why are you not serving us as content? I feel like so. we have <laughs> way back, you know, probably around the time the movie came out, but it's, yeah. it, that, that was far too long ago and we need, thank you, Veronique <laughs> is what we're saying. I'm just trying to, you know, to fulfill all these requests from your listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't found something that exactly replicates that tone, but I did watch the series Terriers, which was at one point on Hulu. I don't think it is anymore. And that's just like a, one of those one season wonders, but it's about people in, I believe, San Diego, and they're sort of solving mysteries and there's overarching Ooh. mysteries. And they're kind of, you know, it's like Big Lebowski-esque in that there's sort of a stoner vibe, but it was really good. So that, that whole sweet spot has really been big for me. And then I've also been watching shows that are pretty much unrebootable, meaning I, I've watched a lot of Moonlighting, which is very hard Mm -hmm. to find. And when you do acquire the DVDs, you will realize why it's because all of the music must be insanely expensive Mm -hmm. to license. Mm -hmm. It's like, they literally have Sympathy for the Devil is playing. And then two seconds later, it's a Supreme. So I'm assuming that's why it's not on streaming. But it's delightful. The fashion, the decor, it's that 80s LA kind of noir vibe. Bruce Willis, I wasn't super familiar with before watching this. I know that sounds crazy, but not a big action fan. And now I understand why he's such a huge star. He is unbelievably charming. He just leaps off the screen. But you know, the real reason it's unbeatable is because Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard hated each other yes. and would not work together again after this. Yeah, it's weird because it's it seems like they have a lot of chemistry on the show. And well, I, was very I think it was one of those learn- things. Yeah, like a love-hate kind of. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. like maybe did they I I, I don't want to speak out of turn or like stereotype, but I think. There were either rumors or it was true that they did date or sleep together or something and then absolutely hated each other and would not. There were only two seasons huh. of it, right? Or like one or two uh, seasons. It, it was short-lived. Like three-ish, maybe okay. four. But but yeah, it was relatively short-lived. And I don't know about that, but that would explain like the weird enmity that seemed to exist between them. And I've they have these very postmodern 
it's like the beginning of postmodernism filtering into TV. So they have this one episode where suddenly they walk out and they're on whatever uh, studio lot the show is filmed on and they're back to being Bruce and Sybil and it's very weird. weird. Like they run out of a fight scene and then they're out, you know, getting into their cars or something. I also have been trying to source a lamp that is in Sybil Shepherd's office. And I Ooh. believe the designer of the lamp is Robert Sonneman. He definitely pioneered this style of lamp. And I found the exact lamp on Home Union's website, but it was sold out. So uh-huh, I'm uh-huh. currently questing for this or a similar lamp, and I'm just going to be plunged into darkness until I get that. What's the lamp look like? It is pink and green and it's kind of art deco meets 80s. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and you uh-huh. would recognize it if you saw this particular silhouette. Like it's definitely something that okay. uh, seems to be, I don't think it's like a huge collector's item yet. Maybe this will change things. But yeah, I'm constantly distracted by like either the outfits they're wearing or stuff in the background. Also, whoever did the location scouting for that show is amazing at finding alleys and vacant lots and weird places in downtown LA. Did you, the the other show during this era that I really loved, did you ever watch Hunter? No, I don't even know what that is. I watched it so much. I never hear it talked (laughs) about anymore. It was definitely iconic for me in that moment. I'm looking at the list of cast and none of these names are recognizable, but it, I think it had similar Mm. vibes to moonlighting. If I, if I, and I don't think I've seen enough moonlighting to know for sure, but like hot couple with lots of chemistry who are working together on solving crimes. And well, so Paramount plus is rebooting a lot of things that I guess are Paramount properties. So they're rebooting Uh. fatal attraction, which unfortunately I was not considered for. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan is playing it, but I do have <laughs> the hair texture and the acting range. And they're also apparently going to reboot the Parallax View. And those are both projects where I'm like, you know, support it. Good luck to everyone involved, even though they didn't cast me. But I don't really understand how you reboot those as a series because they're very distinct narratives. Yeah. Like, I don't know where you go from the whole fatal attraction thing after the pilot. That's kind of it. It feels yeah. like, yeah, right. And maybe, right. you know, yeah. maybe they'll yeah. surprise us. But the one thing that I had been watching on Paramount Plus is very much not rebootable. And that is Wings. And that is not rebootable. Oh my gosh. Because it centers mm-hmm. around people hanging out in an airport in a very casual attitude mm-hmm. towards flying that just doesn't <laughs> make sense in a, in a post 9-11 world. But I was drawn to it because I used to actually hang out at an airport that was, it was like Cape Air. So it was based on that airport. And that was in a much, you know, a time where things felt very much like flying is glamorous, being in an airline lounge is glamorous, all of this stuff, which I sort of still feel like, but I think is is not the (laughs) most people's experience of it. Um, Yeah. Well, you didn't have to take your shoes off at the airport. Right. And, and a lot of the yeah. plot points are like people just like running onto an airplane to reconnect with, you know, a <laughs> lost love or something. So it's like just stuff that right. isn't, isn't realistic. It's a super casual attitude uh, towards flying. God, that show. I feel like I saw so many episodes of it because it was like on after something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And then it was, yeah, like... <laughs> I don't know such a specific era. why this conversation is making me think of that episode of 30 Rock where Kenneth is desperate for a reboot of Night Court and then sort of <laughs> makes it happen somehow, but it's a disaster because it should not be like they, that cast should not reunite, but he just wants to see the ending that he wants to see. And it's a total disaster. And I feel like we could do we could do something similar with some of these shows. Yeah, I should never become like wish fulfillment level rich because those are the kind of things I would do with my time and energy. That's a that then this episode of 30 Rock is for you. We're taking Thomas Hayden Church off the bench and we're bringing him back. (laughs) (laughs) So lamps. Okay, I talked about the lamps for moonlighting. Another very 80s note. I'm very into the 80s man account on Twitter. I don't know who runs it, but it's it's just very 80s sentiments. I don't know what? about this. I haven't seen this. Oh, it's it's great. Um, it it'll just be like, you know, I'm I'm a fact checker at the New Yorker by day and a party guy by night and I'm writing a <laughs> novel about it. You know, he'll reference a lot of Fred Easton Ellis and Jay McInerney yeah. and all this stuff. It's just so funny. He's it always really faxing. Funny. It's just updates <laughs> on how he's faxing. And then a similar sort of account, because it is someone that I think of as, as an 80s man, is there's someone who 
and you know they're doing God's work. They collect all of Paul Schrader's Facebook posts. Stop. And wow. Director Paul Schrader, and this really delivers all the excitement of being Paul Schrader's Facebook friend without having to a <laughs> use <Actually>. Facebook <laughs> uh-huh. or b really <laughs> interface with Paul Schrader. But the the things that I found out from this are he loves Taylor Swift. He's seen her in concert. He has this real obsession Same. with her. And Mm -hmm. he is constantly falling into these typical boomer, like social media bear traps where (laughs) (laughs) he just keeps, people keep explaining to him why, no, you you can't really say this or something and he doesn't get it. And so all of his (laughs) Facebook friends are kind of explaining to him. And then he's like, the studio isn't letting me use social media, but then he's back on always incredible oh my God. so and then he has a great he had a great update that i think was on like november 9th 2016 and i and i think about it often which was i enter unwashed into a world that despises me and disrespects my values <laughs> um, <laughs> wow just and did he go dark soon after that or no there- <laughs> no that he was just getting started <laughs> But, and I, I, I assume that was a response to Trump's election, but it, it does seem applicable to a lot of situations. I think yes. about it sometimes when I, you know, get on a Zoom and I'm not at my best. But anyway, so this, this person is uh, doing a great cultural commentary on a director that I genuinely do love and I'm obsessed with. Fascinating. Amazing. What else? I'm sure you're familiar with these kind of atmospheric videos, like YouTube videos. And I watched a lot during the pandemic. There were some that were like music playing mm, in a bathroom. I don't know about these. Yeah, they're great. Although there was one that was like all the hits of 2020 playing like you're in the bathroom at a party. And I found that super depressing. Yeah, that is depressing. Like, yeah, it's like too yeah. close. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, that yeah, I yeah. would have been at many parties in an alternate reality, but just the idea that, oh, these are songs like we all could have been dancing thing too, or whatever was, was weirdly poignant. But uh-huh. one, th- there's so many, like you could really fall into a rabbit hole of these, but there are songs remixed sort of to sound like they're playing in an empty mall. And that okay. just ties into oh all the God. mall nostalgia and it's, you know, the yeah. reverberation. And I would, I don't know how they achieve this effect, but it really does sound like what it's purporting to be. Mm-hmm. Um, are they, are the songs playing, are they like mall era songs, I guess? Not always. Like there was definitely a childish Gambino song for one. So it it totally depends, but I'm sure you could find, yeah, things from that, that era. How are you sourcing (laughs) these videos or like selecting which ones speak to you? I don't know how I initially became aware of this, but once you start doing this, it just, you just (laughs) find all this stuff. And are you just watching them or you're putting them on in the background of doing work? I would put them on in the background because they're not that engaging to watch, like not much mm-hmm. changes or happens, but mm-hmm. I am perplexed by like the, the main trend in this space seems to be like you're in a rainy coffee shop or something like that with quote, uh-huh, old, uh-huh. oldies are playing, but pe- the people who do this, their idea of oldies doesn't correspond with what I would think of as oldies. And some of it, it's just too uh-huh. overwhelming because you have the rain, you have the coffee shop chatter, you have the oldies and there's just, a, it's just a lot. So I like kind of the simpler concept ones. I completely understand the appeal of this. And yet it is so foreign to me. And the fact that you started out this segment being like, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. <laughs> is just so fascinating to me because I, this is why, do you guys know that Substack embedded? It's just no. about internet culture. No, and it's no. really good. And they do a column called my internet where they just interview somebody about how they use the internet. And it is so fascinating because we all use it so differently. And it's just, you know, I mean, to watch someone else use the yes. internet is a fascinating mm-hmm. experience. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I once watched my mom do like e-commerce checkout and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's like an entirely different way. I had no idea that you could even do it like that. It's really wonderful. It's like when we talked about how we shop online and it couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more yeah. different. Couldn't be more different. Yeah. Fascinating. I love this. But yeah, I, I think um, it comes from, I, I had a nostalgia for like being in a place where you're around other people, but you're not necessarily interacting with them. Like I loved like yes. sit in a hotel lobby or sit in a coffee mm-hmm. shop where people are buzzing around and eavesdropping and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I think that was probably the impulse that it came from this impulse for like some form of 
socialization. I just got a little depressed thinking about it because it really is dystopian to be like, oh, well, yeah. we missed being in coffee shops. Listening to- so here's here's the sound of a coffee uh-huh. shop. I would sort of like this, but with a like narrative plot line, mm-hmm. you know, like basically a like a narrative podcast layered on top. Of right. It, you can hear a couple like fighting in the background. To- mm hmm. Yeah, like I want a couple's whole relationship as told through you overhearing them at a coffee mm. shop. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I don't know. I don't know if I something know. like that exists. Know. There are atmospheric things for specific like shows. For example, there's a, a Twin Peaks diner one, but I don't mm. think it has, it doesn't have the characters whoa. in it. But I think there's there's definitely room for innovation. And this is oh, something whoa. we can okay. take this into the metaverse. Okay, now yeah. I'm understanding <laughs> this is more of a creative art form than just a dystopian uh, substitute mind, for mind yeah, yeah for actual real world existence. Okay, the the Twin Peaks thing is interesting. I like I like that as a concept. Another sort of musical one is there is an album that I had been listening to called Mother Earth's Plantasia, which was Moog synthesizer type music that was designed to help plants thrive. <laughs> and I didn't know much more about the yes. story, but I looked at into it before this. And it, the composer's name is Mort Garson. And you would get the record actually when you bought a plant at certain stores in LA and also when you bought a mattress for whatever reason. So it was just, it was kind of like a throw in, <laughs> but I think it had gotten this kind of cred that it's been reissued. And the thing I was reading compared it a little bit to Brian Eno because it is that Mm -hmm. sort of ambient music for spaces. And that's, it's from 1976. So it's still very much in the era that I'm talking about. (laughs) God, that's really charming. The the idea that you would receive this when buying a plant. I love it. Or a mattress. It's, and specifically in LA, which feels right. Yeah. I assumed it had some more (laughs) like, you know, hipster backstory, but apparently no. I feel like I should have more fashion recommendations, but the one that I was really excited about was the last time I went to fashion week, I borrowed some coats from this designer. The brand name is Dauphinette and the designer oh, is yeah. Olivia Chang. They also do so some home gorgeous. stuff. Yes. Beautiful. And this was like, this was a pink uh, hand-painted leather coat that I believe was like wow. a vintage coat. And I Whoa. couldn't like, I couldn't go anywhere without being swarmed, which was, is not my normal experience in life. <laughs> but it was just because this coat was so beautiful. And I really like what she does. And, you know, I like that she's, kind of repurposing these older pieces, these vintage pieces and the stuff she does with flowers and fruit is super cool. So I'm just into it. Do you know any of the story? I find her stuff so gorgeous, but I'm really only familiar with it through Instagram. Do you know what her story is? I went to her studio around this time and she is based in Brooklyn Okay, and she's a young independent designer. I, my coworker just said that she also has a store downtown. That's really cool. I think she does. Mm. Yeah. Oh, on Bedford in the West village. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm Um, I'm not sure I should, I should know more about this, Um, but she's just a really lovely person and and very talented. And then I, I don't know if it's weird to talk about a podcast podcasts on a podcast. Mm -mm. No, Um, no, no, you're speaking to a ripe audience. One who clearly loves and listens to podcasts. I have been listening to a lot of movie related ones, you know, because mm. like I said, I'm on these, these watching Jags, these viewing Jags. So <laughs> I really like, I saw what you did, which is a woman from TCM, Millie DeChirico and Danielle Henderson, who's a writer. And she had a memoir come out recently and they just do these double features that have kind of funny themes. And some of them are somewhat obscure. So I've just been enjoying using them as kind of my film programmers and they bring a lot of film knowledge, but it's, it's not heavy. It's really fun. And they just seem to have a lovely rapport. Do you see what they're going to be talking about and then watch the movie and then listen to the podcast? You listen to podcasts and then watch the movies. Oh, I, I try to watch it and then listen okay. to it. I, the only ones where I haven't watched the movies are like horror movies that I know I wouldn't be able to make it through. And uh, then I just listen to them talk yeah. about it. And also that there are some other pairings. So they had one that was like something about don't go into the woods or it's, mm. it's bad in the woods. And that was misery and piranha, which I did not watch because I was afraid of them, but I'm trying to think. They they had they've had them on like true crime, the honeymoon killers and heavenly creatures. They had a grifters one that was six degrees of separation and badlands. 
So it's just a nice sort of genreless mix of stuff. That's really fun. There's a podcast called Junk Filter, which is not entirely about movies, but they do often re-examine movies. And I've, you know, gotten a lot of recommendations from that and watched things because they talked about it. And again, I usually do try to watch it first and then, and then listen. And then there's a, a historian who does something called Nostalgia Trap, which again, isn't entirely about movies, but he does talk about movies a lot and kind of examining these nostalgic works of art through the lens of, of history. So he had a really interesting episode about Repo Man and I, I watched Repo Man mm-hmm. as a result of that. So I've basically been filling in my film history. And then I feel like it's nice to, to get that download from those much smarter people with, with more knowledge of this stuff. We just talked on an earlier episode about how to like approach basically programming your own content. And Erica was talking about the idea of themed content where you're like, all right, I'm just going to pick a theme and watch all the stuff around that. But I do like the idea of programming it around podcasts too. Like, cause I like the rewatchables on the ringer network. Yeah. And I, so, you know, I, some of the, the movies I'm familiar enough with that I can listen without rewatching the thing, but I do some of them. I'm like, I kind of want to rewatch that and then listen to their commentary on it. So I do kind of like that way of, of narrowing down what it is you're going to watch when you get to the Netflix queue. I just think sometimes it's nice to have an assignment mm-hmm. yes, and to like, not be like, not be forced to come up with all this on your own. Yes. Like, I don't yes. know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I used to intern. Be like, yeah, here's the thing to watch. Like, go. no, totally. And I, I used to intern at the Museum of the Moving Image, which was like best job mm. ever, nicest people yes. ever. And I would help with program notes and things like that. But I loved the idea of like programming double features or thinking about themes. And so I always loved doing that. And then when I was in my early 20s and I was living with, I think, five other people, I tried to have a Cinema Veronico is what I called it, double feature (laughs) night. And it was just interrupted by like all the typical living with too many people in your early 20s blenders, including someone came to take away our fridge, like from our building. And we were like, what are you doing? And then they brought it back and delivered another fridge. And then we didn't have enough space to like walk around and people were unable to like circulate in the party. But I would like to bring it back in a more sophisticated mm-hmm. format that doesn't involve even more sophisticated. Yes. <laughs> even more you sophisticated. could probably rent out a theater for not that much money these days. Right yeah. now, these days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, I thought that too, but um, a friend of mine looked into it for a party recently and it was like $600. And I said, maybe you should okay. just invite no. people to a little scene movie and just hope that no mm-hmm. one else shows up and then it could be a That's personal a party. <laughs> There you go. That's right. That's right. Are there any classic Cinema Veronique pairings? Well, so I only ever did one, but it was Teen Sorcery. And so Mm. it was Teen (gasps) Witch and The Craft, like a classic. Oh my God. Incredible. Well, you only need the one when that's right. That's so (laughs) good. Um, But yeah, I, I like kind of finding like, you know, parallels between things. Basically, I grew up watching a lot of older movies with my grandmother and I'm realizing that I I have huge blind spots when it comes to like anything more recent, especially like 60s through 2000s probably. So it was my Mm -hmm. attempt to kind of fill in all of that stuff because I've probably seen, I don't want to say I've seen everything made in every American movie made in Hollywood in 30s, 40s, 50s, but like almost. I do not watch Westerns uh, Mm -hmm. unless they're like about something else. If they're existential Westerns, like the Misfits, then I'm in. But other than that, no. I don't watch biblical epics uh-huh, uh-huh, and I don't really uh-huh, watch war uh-huh. movies. Like I don't watch the battle of the bulge and all the stuff that airs on TCM okay. on Memorial day. But other than that, <laughs> I really have kind of seen it all. So I was, it, it came from just a place of like, I'm running out of other stuff. This is fantastic. And I also feel like this particular vein of content relates so much to your work and yes, to this book. Yes. And just like, it all is like coming back around to that, like themes and history so and getting in there and tying all of this together. Well, there are so many movies that were on people's mood boards or that designers cite as inspiration. And I was always kind of like, yes. oh yeah, I'll get around to that. And like this, I have used some of this time to actually watch those things. But the funniest thing is like, you'll watch this stuff and you're like, okay, this is either a very static movie where there's some beautiful outfits and like nothing else is happening. Mm-hmm. Correct. Or uh-huh. it will, which I just call mood board movies, or it will be something where <laughs> the theme of the movie is so divorced from what the designer takes away from it. Like mm-hmm. something like Blade Runner, which I, I right. write about watching that for the first time. 
And I've seen so many Blade Runner inspired fashion shows and embarrassingly just hadn't watched it. But people just really take the visuals from that. And right. it's, there's a lot more going on in that movie. Yeah. So now, now when people are telling me what they were inspired by, I don't have to pretend I know what they're talking about or look it up <laughs> later. Uh, I love this. Veronique, this has been such a joy. Thank you so much for coming on. And everybody buy the book dress code or take it out from the library, I guess, too. Um, it is so good and so interesting and love libraries. And it also just, yeah, it gives you that context that I feel like is missing in so much of the fashion think piece and writing that we, that we get exposed to. That's the show. Hi, Claire and Erica. Mommy is Julia. And I'm sorry about the traffic on my morning walk listening to your podcast, which I enjoy doing every week. Was just listening to your guys' tip about recommendations versus Google recommendations for stuff we want to consume. And it made me think of a tip that my very toxic, very horrible old boss gave me, but it was one of the few takeaways that I still use, which is if you were looking for something that is related, but not necessarily served up by Google, you would type in something let's say Kirsten Dunst versus, and then let Google fill in what is most commonly searched. And more times than not, it comes up with something that I wouldn't have thought of. So if that's a book versus blank or a restaurant versus blank, people have thought on the internet that they are kind of, have already put out there on um, which one is better and the merit of both. But usually I just take the recommendation and run with it because if they're being grouped in the same sentence, then that's all I need. Anyway, it's kind of a little helpful tip that I hope maybe could serve you. Have a great day. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. Hold up. 